Hello everyone, sorry. Thank you very much for coming to the Warhammer panel. Um, I am your moderator, Molly Tanzer. I'm gonna let my co-panelists introduce themselves in a moment, but we're going to do um, a few things during introductions. Um, I think we're going to uh, make this, uh, raise the stakes a little and make it interesting, if you know what I mean. Um, and so I have passed around some dice and I have passed around some mechanical pencils. And, uh, oh, uh, you're gonna, uh, you'll have to share, I'm sorry. Uh, I, well, here, take it and if I need it back, you can have it. Um, yeah, oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, um, I would like if all of you could, uh, please when you see your willpower, if you could please assign your current age as your willpower stat. I'm not asking what it is. I mean, like, we don't have to, a lady never asks, and so. Your human age, your age in this human skin. Oh, well. This human skin? Yeah, this, this human skin, your age in this human skin. And, um, and I'm gonna throw you a bit of a bone here, and for your cool, please assign your birth year. No, 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 just the, la the last two digits of your birth year. Sorry, the last two digits of your birth year, yes. Um, I know that's, that's good, that's good, that's good. I mean, like, mine would be 81, which is a very good stat. I mean, like, when you, because we're going to be trying to roll under, when we make some rolls, we'll be rolling under our cool and our willpower, um, and I will assign those rolls to you after um, your answers based on their... Their, their excellence. <laughs> um, and then at the end, we are Wait, going to. It will be fun. And then at the end, uh, we will end up. Um, I'm going to roll on a table to see um, if you if you have racked up any points for which you will roll a d6 at that point. Um, we will tally your um, your insanity and your hit points and uh, determine if you have achieved any mutations or insanities by the end of the panel. So, in addition um, to anything we already have. Yes, in addition, uh, uh, definitely they stack. So you know, like we'll see. So, um, so yeah, like if you could if you could uh, think about that while we introduce ourselves, that would be delightful. Um, I like I said, I'm Molly Tanzer. I'm the author of the Diabolist Library series, um, Creatures of Will and Temper, Creatures of Want and Ruin and the forthcoming Creatures of Charm and Hunger. Um, they're historical fiction um, about women and uh, demon summoning, and there's usually a martial aspect. The third one that's forthcoming is, was my elevator pitch was a teen witch uses astral projection to kill Nazis. So if that sounds like your kind of thing, you might like it. I'm also an editor, um, and I'm an avid Warhammer gamer, but the reason I was delighted to um, wrest control of this panel from Niels is that the Warhammer I play is... Um, Warhammer Fantasy Role Play, the 1982 edition. This is my personal copy that survived a breakup in my hands. And uh, I, uh, thank goodness, right? Because I don't want to pay, thank you, thank you. Um, I wouldn't want to pay, you know, online prices for that right now. Um, and I, I don't have an iPad. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know a lot about 40K. I'll be asking questions about that. So I get to learn along with everyone. I don't know a lot about tabletop because I have, I have enough things to dust without miniatures, although I respect the practice. So um, I'd like everyone to now introduce themselves. I'll start at this end and move across. And please tell us who you are, and then also um, your relationship to Warhammer, if any, um, or, and, uh, and, what, and, and what, what form of Warhammer. And the answer of, I've just seen the Chronicles of Riddick three times, is a totally acceptable answer to this. <laughs> so please. Um, I'm John Woodridge. I am the author of three novels, or two novels, and a collection of dark drafts. 
Um, and uh, I'm up here, uh, I assume, because I I have played the Warhammer, um, uh, I played the Warhammer 40k uh, tabletop game, and I've, I've done a, a deep dive into sort of the history of Warhammer, uh, because I just can't let it go. <laughs> God, it's hooks in you. Hmm? It has a, it's hooks in you. It really does. Yeah, uh, nice. the, the setting is very rich, and I, I like a lot of elements about it. Excellent, thank you. My name is Nicholas Kaufman. I write a lot of horror, uh, dark fantasy, and urban fantasy. Um, my work has been nominated for the Bram Stoker Award, uh, the Thriller Award, the Shirley Jackson Award, and just recently the Dragon Award. Um, uh, so I'm always a bridesmaid and never a bride. Uh, but um, uh, I've written a short story in the Warhammer 40K universe for an upcoming anthology of theirs called An Anathemas, uh, which I think is coming out in March of next year. Um, but I'm also a little bit the pretender on this panel because I've never actually played Warhammer. Hmm. <laughs> now, now. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Um, would you please roll a d6 and tell me what the number is? <laughs> It's a six. Oh, great. <laughs> How fun for you. You have six insanity points. <laughs> Only six? Only six. Just like life. No, that's, that's one check. So, you know, at least one for you. All right, please go on. Hi, I'm Mike, uh, Mike Mason. I'm um, uh, a games designer. Uh, I too have a Dragon Award and uh, also a few Emmys. Uh, I'm mainly known for Call of Cthulhu, uh, which is what I do these days. Uh, but in my dim and grim past, uh, I work for Games Workshop. And uh, while I worked for Games Workshop, um, I also uh, co-wrote the Warhammer 40,000 role-playing game Dark Heresy and uh, managed that line until it passed from Games Workshop to Fantasy Flight Games. Um, so I've been playing Warhammer in the fantasy lands and in space for a long time. I picked up the uh, first Warhammer box set from my local gaming store some years ago. Um, so some might think I know a lot about 40k and Warhammer, and they're probably right, but I've forgotten most of it, but, uh, but we'll see what happens. Oh, that's delightful. Thank you. Would you please also roll a d6 for me? I certainly can. A two. Oh, okay. Uh, now, you, I, I'd like to assign you um, some cool points. So you have not, I put two under your cool, please. Or under your, under, under your, um, what did I, uh, you, your, no, this goes here, this goes here. You now have two. Uh, you now have two insanity points. Oh, wait. But IP sounds like insanity. Points. Uh, no, yeah, I think that's, oh, yeah, right. no, no. Did you want John to roll the dice? No, 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 no. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> this will work. I didn't just come up with this on the plane. It's so fine. HP is insanity. I don't know. It's, no, I'm, I'm at hit points for you. Um, you're you're breaking my game here. And you get hit points. You get insanity points. Now we're going. Excellent. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. Uh, I'm Niels Hobbs. Um, I'm a, a bottom level minion here for Necronomicon. Will you please turn uh, on your mic for me, my dear? Oh, it's not on. Why is it not on? Hello. Hit the. Oh, I'll use this one. There it is. Okay. Let's switch on. Okay. My name is Niels Hobbs. <laughs> There we go. I'm just going to use both. <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? Um, my name is Neil Scott. I am uh, an academic in the same joke again. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm the executive director of Lovecraft Arts and Sciences that runs Necronomicon. And uh, among many other things, including I'm actually a marine biologist. 
Um, and I am a hardcore Warhammer nerd, mostly 40k, but I dabble in pretty much all of it. I've even read Necromunda fiction, um, which is roundly terrible. Um, but uh, and I've been, I've been, I have I have played. I'm a retired tabletop player. Have like six or eight armies stored in my basement, mostly wow. unpainted. Uh, I think you all probably a lot of you can consider that. Um, my, my major army uh, was squats. Of around the time that I took a brief hiatus from never buying any workshop stuff again. Yeah. about a year. Um, but I haven't really played since. Um, I have greatly enjoyed playing um, the third edition of Warhammer. Stop with the weird dice. Like, they love weird dice, um, which is appropriate for them. Um, mostly, though, I really enjoy the fiction because the, the Black Library of fiction is such an incredibly well developed universe. Some of the authors are also top tier, I think. Um, some of them are not, but um, mostly it's really quite enjoyable. Um, as we'll talk about, I think. Maybe. We'll see. I'll, I'll definitely open things to questions later. Um, my um, and I, so we're going to do about an hour of like like everything else this weekend, which I'm sure you're all experts at this by by this point. But this is my first moderating panel, so around 11 we'll we'll open it up the floor to questions and things like that. But um, so like I said, like my relationship really is like the old world and um, it's. Uh, its issues and pleasures, I suppose. So um, my first is like a kind of a 101 question for me. Um, can can you can any of you sort of elucidate the relationship between the old world and the Age of Sigmar to the 40k universe? Because I thought erroneously, I guess that the, um, the the emperor guy that everyone's worried about heresy with was Sigmar, but I guess that's definitely not true. So would someone help me out? Please, uh, I, would you please help me out here and explain the relationship between the old fantasy game and the new stuff that people seem much more engaged with because it's alive and vibrant? Right. The, uh, the transition from uh, standard Warhammer f fantasy to Age of Sigmar essentially involved separating the world into six? Six? Eight? eight. Thank you. <laughs> into eight different worlds each of which has a, has a very definite aspect, and sometimes those worlds come together and the, and the inhabitants fight, and sometimes those worlds are separate, and the inhabitants of those individual worlds fight. Mm. Okay, um, thank you. Would you roll your willpower for me and see if you pass that check? Uh, that's the D10. Please roll under if you'd like to pass. 40, I, I pass. Oh, excellent, excellent. You don't have to tell, you, I trust you if you don't wish to reveal the, the, the numbers upon your, they are personal, I just didn't want to go through the whole written roll. So uh, if you pass, you pass, that's great. Thank you very much. Um, does anyone else have any thoughts on the relationship between the Age of Sigmar and 40K? Any further? Um, yes, I think the major relation is there was another way for a games workshop to uh, make us all go out and buy new stuff. <laughs> Oh my! Um, but there's also I'm not wrong. no, 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 no. Certainly not. <laughs> yeah, art is art is fine to monetize. Um, now I thought that there was overlap. That so that the same chaos gods that um, often I get wrapped up with in my current ongoing Warhammer games are the same in the 40k universe, are they not? There's still the pantheon of like Zinch and Slanesh and all of that. So they do. There is overlap there. But what about the other gods? Like. Um, what is the nature of heresy in 40k? Like, I mean, is it like, oh lord, I got an eyebrow waggle at that. Um, would, would you be so kind as to explain, so are they just fighting chaos, or like if I was like, here I stand before you, in, interested in, in Mermidia, like would they, 
would they also consider me like, I don't know, some kind of big booby battle angel strike me dead with a plasma cannon or something like that? Possibly. Okay. Um, <clears throat> um, the overarching concept across Warhammers <laughs> is, um, is corruption uh, and chaos. Chaos is the, uh, is the, you know, the, the corruption at the end of all things, at the beginning of all things. All things come and sprout from chaos. And that is across the old world of Warhammer through to the, uh, the universe of Warhammer 40k. Um, and the analogy to you know, Lovecraft in reality and the cosmic truth, uh, there, is a, there is a tie and a close you know, uh, thematic you know, link across the two. Uh, but ultimately, um, you are um, brave and stout humanity. You will stand up to fight the forces of chaos and in doing so, become the very demons of which you are fighting. Mm, it's, yeah, somehow my characters always get wrapped up with Slanesh. Um, but like, well, I don't know, maybe it's something about me. But uh, we'll talk about, uh, I have a Slane- uh, like a hard-hitting Slanesh question later, so we'll talk about that. But um, the way I kind of want to get into that is, um, so in the old, so I, my only relationship to 40K was I once rolled one of those battle angels. That's not what they're called. I apologize, but like one of them. Sisters of battle. Thank you. A battle, a sister of battle, in a game that never got off the ground. Um, of course, I think it's because character creation took seven years. But um, <laughs> I, my impression at that time was that so in the old in the old world, um, like there's, I mean, gender is not necessarily like that great, and it really does depend on your GM to determine like. Um, girl stuff and boy stuff because I tend to run a game when I run a game like I just excise any kind of like it's medieval Europe but with real monsters that kind of like drag because I don't I don't want to deal with that but my impression was that in 40k there are sort of more ossified gender roles um, can someone maybe talk about like the the trend like if that is that true is my impression correct is that an erroneous conclusion and if so like what is sort of the gender deal with 40k I, yeah I, I, I think any of us who have been sort of fans or dabbled in uh, the Warhammer universe in general, and 40K in particular, it's always been kind of problematic to me that it's definitely very uh, Eurocentric and very male-centric for the most part. Like, you know, the, 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 the major heroic figures are the space marines, which are always big, burly white dudes with crew cuts. Um, and, you know, it's only really, I think, really recently that there's been a substantial increase in um, the storytelling that involves more than just, again, just that big, big white guys. Um, and especially with some of the fictions, I think some of the better fiction has been very uh, incorporating diversity, um, having women as major characters, uh, including sort of the ultimate characters in the universe, for those of you who don't know. Um, again, because, as Mike said, it's sort of this battle between chaos and humanity trying at any cost almost to avoid chaos, to you know, cost to the point of essentially almost destroying themselves, that some of the primary figures are inquisitors, um, these sort of you know, figures that have almost a license from the emperor to do anything to stop chaos. And some of the more famous inquisitors um, are women, uh, which is a pretty cool thing. And especially like for, for the system that Mike Mason was involved with, the, role, the new role-playing game, there's a lot of opportunity for women to be major characters and stuff like that. That's really kind of an important character. Uh, and also a lot of a lot of races as well, you know, especially with Warhammer Fantasy. I think it was much more kind of like yeah, European, but with horrible, horrible, horrible monsters and very dark humor. Um, I mean, GW um, 
when, well, before I, before I even joined the company, it was very much a boys' club uh, in terms of it was boys making toys for boys. Um, and um, occasionally uh, a female gamer would uh, come into a store and, you know, would either, it would either work out fine and they would be accepted, or the store manager and the local gaming crew would like, oh god, oh god. Um, and, uh, but I'm really happy to say that's radically changed over the last uh, few years and GW has woken up to the fact that girls like games too and, um, and so uh, if you go around GW stores in the UK certainly and around head office uh, which I still live fairly close to uh, the number of, uh, of women working at GW in stores, in the head office, in design, in retail and so on and reflected in the actual uh, games, playing the games in the stores and at events. The, the, the proportion is, is, like many things, much more balanced now and it's really great to see. And, but I think Niels is right in that we really saw that begin with the Inquisitor Rage, but the stories by Dan Abnett and so on, the Eisenhorn stories particularly, really started to actually put female characters in significant positions in the universe and actually have power and be able to have agency. Um, and um, let's hope that we see that continue, but also in the, you know, the TV series that's coming out and so on. Oh yes, I, I'm going to ask about the TV series later because I'm extremely intrigued by it and um, I only uh, found out about it when I asked a 40k playing friend of mine, like, what should I ask on the panel? And he was like, oh, the show, the show. So we're get, we'll get to that. Do you have anything to add? I'm going to piggyback a question onto Neil. So I do actually. Oh, please, when, please. Uh, when I told my wife that I'd been commissioned to write a 40k story, she decided to research 40k online. Uh, and she fell down a rabbit hole, which you can do very easily with something this large and this popular. And she found um, uh, a players talking on a message board about whether female players can even play Warhammer 40K. Or, and somebody else said, no, no, they, you know, you can have female players, but they're only able to play these, these certain kinds of characters. That was my, that was my uh, experience with 40K, where I was like, what do you, I'm sorry, I can play this or yeah. there was like two options and I, and right. I or something and so I was like, is was that like, good luck with this? No. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. Would you please roll your willpower for your wife? <laughs> I'll take the D, the two D ten. That's easy. But roll it and she'll win. I've met her. But <laughs> her age is not the same as my age. That's okay. That's too bad for you. It's Warhammer. No, I busted. <laughs> That's a one hundred. I busted out. Oh yeah. Okay. Please roll a D six. Sorry, Alexa. I rolled a four. Oh great, that's, now that's under, uh, 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 we can put that there now. Okay. Okay. How delightful. Um, I wanna, do you have anything to add or may I ask another question? Okay, thank you. Niels, um, you mentioned the uh, fiction. Um, could you give um, some recommendations of things that you enjoy and we can, well, I mean, I want you to be able to talk about your anthology a little bit more and any other, when you say there's fiction, there's novels, right? And there's. Um, there's a community of fiction out there, so could you please um, shout out some exemplary titles that people might like to explore? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I think, the, you know, and, and the nice thing is the Black Library, like I said, that's really what I rely on. The Black Library is the, the fiction wing of, it's, it's Games Workshop, right? Um, it's, it's the fiction wing. Yeah, it's the fiction wing of Games Workshop, and I don't even know if there is a proper count of how many books they have, but it's certainly well into the hundreds, if not possibly the thousands at this point. 
Um, and uh, as you can imagine, the level of quality varies substantially. Some of them I write out, like, dear God, please give me back that, you know, week or whatever. But, but much of it is really pretty remarkable um, to the point where I almost am, am not embarrassed when I admit that I, I don't know, or am or fiction. Um, and, and including the Mike, one of my mentions, the author, Dan Abbott, who is absolutely stunning. Um, such an incredible developer of character, as well as you know, amazing analysis and stuff like that. So if any of you are interested in fiction, definitely check out pretty much anything by Dan Adnan. He's, he's written um, in all the different sort of sub-universes. He's written in the 40K universe, he's written in the fantasy, and he's also uh, one of the major writers for another cash cow for Games Workshop, the 30K universe, the Horus Heresy, which kind of sets up, is the sort of the stage setting of the 40K um, he's amazing. Um, even some of the not quite so good authors are still really incredibly enjoyable when you really picture the universe. Um, um, you know, Lionel Sanders, the guy that writes the Office King novels. What is it? Sandy, 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 which I, I really enjoy. They're very tiny, cheap. Uh, they don't take themselves seriously at all, but at the same time, give you a great overview of the universe. And very quickly, um, even if you don't have an understanding for the terminology or like the gods and that kind of stuff, you'll pick it up. Um, there are some that are better at kind of introducing you. Um, Game Workshop, or Black Library publishes some anthologies, or intro anthologies. Um, I think the, the latest Sandy Mitchell Kiyosaki novels are pretty good for that. Um, and there's a great Dan Adam one called Titanicus that gives you a great snapshot uh, overview of a lot of different concepts. And it's just a great story, too. So. Thank you. Um, I, it's kind of hard for me. I mentioned Dan, haven't it? Um, a lot of other writers aren't my natural friends. Um, so, um, but I would, uh, I would um, recommend anything by a good friend of mine called John French, who happens to also write some Cthulhu stuff as well. Um, there's a guy called Mike Mason who did one story for them. It's quite good. Um, it's uh, only available electronic. It's really short. <laughs> it's a really tiny story. Um, but um, Gav Thorpe, Gav Thorpe um, started in game design and was the uh, kind of the creative lead, creative lead for the Warmer Fantasy uh, universe for many years, and he's kind of moved out of that into purely uh, fictional writing. So he's, he's, a, he's a chap who um, really kind of understands the Warhammer setting. So his stuff tends to be quite rich in terms of setting material. Um, but I mean, I you know. Dan Abnett's Eisenhorn trilogy uh, is definitely worth a read. If, if you want an introduction to the 40K universe, um, I think that's that's really where you start. Uh, and Niels has mentioned the 30K series, which is the um, the Horus Heresy in its uh, in its grand title, which is an epic, multi-volume, multi-author tale of which, as has been said, sets up the entirety of the, the 40K universe. And there's this epic battle of uh, beginning with corruption within, you know, within humanity and how that explodes and causes the near collapse of the entire human civilization uh, and uh, sets of other things. So, you know, beginning with book one, Horus Heresy, you had about another 60 volumes to go, but you know, it's a good read. Some of the marvels.
Thank you. I'm going to let you go last because I want you to talk about the anthology, but oh. do you have any fiction recommendation? Um, I love Guy Haley. Uh, I'm kind of an odd duck here because I'm what hooks me into the Warhammer universe is the Tyranids, and they're gigantic, uh, essentially uh, space locusts that are coming into our worlds, uh, and I think that's really super cool. Um, but it's really hard to write anything from their perspective. Uh, so the majority of my Warhammer uh, fiction collection is people who are like, oh, we're fighting Tyranids, I'm, like, I'm buying that. Uh, and Guy Haley, I think, does a very good job of not only uh, getting the, the, the drama and the fights, but he also sort of looks at the stuff surrounding the space marines and how they recruit and how they interact with people who are not space marines. Uh, and that, that he, he, he humanizes uh, that aspect of the universe very well. Oh, thank you very much. Um, and now, would you give us the title of your anthology, your forthcoming anthology, anthology again, and um, tell us a little bit about it so that people know that it's out there. And it's anathema, anathemas? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Anathemas? Anathemas. anathemas. Um, and uh, I think it's coming out in March of next year, and I have a story in it. So what happened was um, I got an email out of the blue from Richard Garten at uh, uh, Black Library. He said, I read a story of yours in Interzone, and I really liked it. And would you be interested in writing a story for, that takes place in the Warhammer 40K universe for this anthology? And I said, yes, absolutely. But I've got to be frank with you. I've certainly heard of Warhammer 40K. It's a very popular game. I've never played it myself. And he said, that's not a problem. I'll send you some information about it. And he sent me these PDFs that were hundreds of pages long. <laughs> hundreds of pages long. Um, and I mean no disrespect when I say this, but by page 20, my eyes were crossing. It is such a, a rich, complex, uh, complicated universe with so many moving parts and so much history and so many um, Xenos, as they call the, the alien races. Um, and I said, I said to him, look, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I really want to do this, but I, I can't read these, <laughs> these really long PDFs. He said, it's fine. We'll help you. So I pitched him a story idea, and he took it basically to committee. Uh, and because uh, I actually wound up pitching this story three or four different times with, with uh, adjustments to it, because the committee would come back with, well, would, that, would a gene stealer third generation actually do that? Or would it be more like a second generation? <laughs> or things like that. Um, uh, so they obviously had to protect their IP and wanted to make sure that, they, that fans who were readers wouldn't read the story and be like, oh, that G-stealer wouldn't do that. You know, so it made sense to me. Uh, just coming from a creative perspective, I had never worked on a story through committee before. Um, so it, it just it seemed a little, uh, it just seemed odd to me because I'd never done it before. And I just wanted to be like, well, let me just write this story. Um, so finally they, uh, they you know, we, we hammered out all the details that we needed to hammer out. And um, because it takes place in the Warhammer the new Warhammer horror line. He wanted a story about somebody who's a little bit more isolated, isn't as uh, caught up in the, the space battles and, and thinking about the, the Imperium and all this stuff. He's just doing his own thing. And so he basically, what happens is he, he comes up against a gene stealer cult on this planet and he just has no idea what they are or, or, or sort of falls into it. Um, so it was actually a very rewarding experience uh, and I'd, I'd love to work with them again. Um, and I think John is in, in the same anthology uh, with his story about the space locusts. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm, if I'm in it or not, so... Uh, 
But it was, yeah, they were, I found them very helpful, very easy to work with, and, and when, they, when we bumped up against my lack of knowledge about the Warhammer 40K universe, they stepped in to help, which was wonderful. Can I ask, yeah. can I ask you a question about that? Because that's actually something I've always been fascinated by. Um, you, know, you know, again, some background, and I apologize, probably there's some of you in the audience that may not really know about, like, you know, the four chaos guys, like Slanesh and such like that, so you'll have to kind of bear with us a little bit. But, but I'm curious, because the, the fiction is so incredibly well-developed, and it's, I've, I've read my fair share of it over, you know, going on three decades now. Uh, and I've always been impressed that it's rare that you find, like, goofs where things are hugely contradictory. You know, like, the gene stealers are always clearly doing gene stealer things. And right. space marines pretty much always do space marine things, you know. Um, and, and clearly the editorial staff or whatever in the Black Library must be astonishing to work with. It must be really supportive. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear from those of you who read They're so knowledgeable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because I mean, obviously, like, yeah, you, if you submit something, I mean, they must go, yeah, that's, Gene Stillers can't do that. Well, originally I'd wanted it to be a chaos cult, and they were like, everybody wants to write about chaos cults, right? So, but your, your story idea still works if we replace it with a gene stealer cult. So then I had to do more research on what gene stealers were. My second round is gene stealer cults. Oh, yeah. No, I was. It was Represent <laughs> It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, no, so the characters just said he's a recaf farmer. I did a lot of like, so I did a lot of uh, sort of micro research as I was writing the story. Like, what, what do they grow on these agro worlds? Oh, recaf, that sounds fun, you know, like, that kind of stuff. By the way, where is it? Where is recaf? Yeah, it was a fun experience. It, it's, it, um, you saying about a bit of micro research, yeah. when, um, when we were putting together the, the 40K role playing game, at the time, other than what had been loosely mentioned in fiction, and at the time, fiction-wise, the Horus Heresy thing had only really just started. Uh, the fiction was still very much um, about a series of battles, mainly. Uh, that there was the universe had still been unexplored in terms of what was happening socially, mm -hmm. and um, so when we were writing the role-playing game, which is obviously not just about war, and you and you kind of doing investigation inside the Imperium, we were literally like. What do do they have lifts? Do they have elevators? What, what what do they do they have a bar? What would a bar look like? And we tried. And we we were literally yeah. just kind of inventing yeah. stuff that seemed to make would fit in the forty k universe. But now that's kind of channeled in more into the fiction. So there is this much more rich world that's not just battlefields yeah. to, uh, to to explore in that way. Well, it's it's funny. It got to the point where I was looking up every noun. Um, I, would, I, would put it, I would put it Google Warhammer 40k and then the noun, and there was usually an, an, an uh, you know an analogy. There was usually like, what do they what do they drink in Warhammer? And then it turns out there is a liquor. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, So it's 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 so rich. It's such a complex, rich world. That, and that's you, know, you know, from my question before about like where sort of those of you have read the fiction, you will be a little bit intimidated. The Barnes and Noble in Union Square in New York uh, has shelf after shelf of Warhammer novels. They're, they're all they all have sort of the black spine and the gold uh, lettering. Um, and I picked up a few. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're they're good product. I mean, yeah. Um, I picked up a few and flipped through them. And there's a lot. There is a lot of terminology. Um, and, and it's funny though. As as I progressed through writing this with 
uh, uh, for, for the anthology, uh, I would go back and I would recognize more words and be like, oh, now I know what that means. <laughs> There's a um, kind of, once you, you start writing 40K fiction, um, and obviously, as you said, the editorial team, um, they come from a background of playing this game since they were like nine years old. And, and, uh, and so they are heavily versed in, and you know, there's a, you know, they often, there's a quiz, you know, can you <laughs> spot the mistakes and you can get in. Um, but, uh, so they're very supportive, but uh, in terms of uh, authors, particularly uh, authors who work on individual novels in the Horus Heresy range, they they will they will have secret cabals and share kind of like so what are you so what are you doing and what am I doing and what what do we need to invent to make it work between kind of, so there's a lot of sharing and, and um, so supporting practices across the editorial and, and uh, fiction kind of teams in that sense. I'd love to know your experiences writing because you you do play the game, so writing in the fiction. Right. Uh, well, for me it was easy. Um, unlike Nick, um, who was asked. <laughs> I sent them an email and said, hey, I'd love to work for you. Uh, and they responded, okay, send us something that doesn't suck. And I panicked. <laughs> uh, but, uh, because I, anyway, so I wrote, uh, you know, wrote 500 words and sent them off. And, and uh, said, okay, well, uh, let's develop the story. So I developed the story. And it was, it was easier for me, I think, than, than Nick because you know I've been soaking in this sort of stuff for years, and so I so I know the difference between a Vox and uh, and all aspects and and all of the, the delightful terminology. But I've also been you know I've been reading the fiction uh, for for uh, I'm not gonna say decades, but, um, I, I will say I have some of the earlier novels and. Some of them are not quite as tightly controlled as they are now. Um, you don't, for example, see uh, Space Marines doing backflips in, in Terminator armor anymore. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I had a point there. Oh, uh, and, and you know, I said that. So I finished the story, sent it in, they sent it back. Like, okay, this needs to change. This needs to change. This needs to change. And because I like. I'm interested in working for them. I changed all of that. Uh, I said that they're, they're happy with it. So, um, if you haven't read uh, the current anthology, Maledictions, uh, it's quite good. Uh, it starts off with a story by Cassandra Kaw, who, who I find delightful. Uh, so, uh, I highly recommend uh, Maledictions, and they're starting an entire a series of very specifically horror uh, novels and stories, and uh, I think it's going to be great, despite the fact that I'm in it. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was fascinating. I'm really excited to get into some of this because I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very interested in it. In this panel, I was like, oh, good. This is a good opportunity for me to learn as well. Um, yeah. So, um, so, and I didn't. I, I guess it didn't occur to me that anyone would come here that wasn't already familiar with so much of this. But I realize we have been kind of running a master class on this. So, for my next question, I'm going to give like a 101 on this, right? Because I have this question that has been circling around with me, where I read a long read a while ago about um, a topic, um, just to get get in there with this. So there's so there's these chaos gods, right? And there's four of them. Well, there's there's four major ones. I'm probably going to get called out on this, but there's four major ones, and they all have an aspect. And Zinch is the aspect of change. 
change. Corn is the aspect of war. Um, Nurgle is the aspect of sort of entropy, I would say. And then you have Slanesh, which is the domain of like the ungoverned, I would say, like the inner, the, our inner drives. And um, like I said, I'm a big Slanesh fan. I realize that we're addressed. I actually have a Slanesh-inspired tattoo. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, but I cannot, I cannot show it in good taste. And there's someone filming, and that means definitely not. Um, but hi, uh, come up after and, and see if we're OK with that. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, so um, I read a long read a while back about uh, kicking Slanesh out of the Warhammer universe, um, just because there's, there's a lot going on with Slanesh. Like, as this aspect of the ungoverned, Slanesh is um, gender fluid. Slanesh covers the aspects of both pleasure and pain of what happens when we give ourselves over to our drives and our desires. Um, and um, this long read was making the claim that, like, here in the modern world, like, oh my god, like, boobies and a, a dick is not like, it's not, it's, that's not like a terrifying thing. Any, I mean, that's not, it shouldn't, it should never have been. And like, is it immature in the way of like a heavy metal album cover? Like, do we all need to grow the fuck up? Um, and I came away from that being like, you know, I see, I see so much of what's being discussed here and I have a lot of personal feelings about it. I, as someone who like, like extensively studied like Dionysian mystery cults, like I see something in Slanesh that I find very fascinating, but there is this discomfort there where it's like, is, are we being our, our best selves with Slanesh? And so I'd like to, I know this is a contentious question, but I'd like to talk about this just because, you know, I, it is sort of, I've seen some of the art and been like, it's like you never tell anyone what's inside the Necronomicon, right? You're just going to show your ass. Like, it's just like, you'll be like, it was the most terrifying thing, like, blah, and it's just somebody else is like, man, I do that on Thursdays every week, right? Like, like so, like, with Slanesh, like, what do you guys think? Like, where do we stand on this topic right now? Like, let's get in there with it. Like... Niels, would you like to start? You see, you're kind of like, yeah, like ready. You're like, oh, I gotta have all these feels. I'll, I'll preface my statement by saying I have a strong, I've only recently sort of gotten into thinking that maybe someday I could do cosplay. And the one cosplay I've noticed that I they want to do is Slanesh. Yes, oh, I love like, this. Like, oh, this is so cool. hardcore Slanesh for like, you know, some big, you know, nerd con. Oh, I adore you so much. Like, this is wonderful. <laughs> I, I really want to do it. Every time I see like, or something like that, or prosthetic boobs, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, sure. Um, but so I think Slaness is fascinating, and, I, and I'll quickly say that I, as from a gamer point of view, I very much am anti-chaos. Like, I'm stalwartly for the Empire, uh, even though squads aren't quite the Empire. Um, well, that's my next question, so hold that thought. Yeah, that's yeah, going to yeah. be good. But, uh, but I think all the gods are pretty fascinating, but some of them, like Horn, the god of war, is pretty boring. I actually, I really love how you summarize the four gods. That, that was actually a really good way. I kind of stumbled with it a bit. Um, Nurgle, which is you know, sometimes like the god of rotten decay, um, Entropy, I think is a great way to describe it, is, I think, a really cool, awesome, gross, and, and very sort of almost the most like kind of base, uh, traditional Lovecraftian of the chaos gods. But I think Slanesh is actually the one that's the most fascinating. Siege is kind of cool too, but Slanesh, there's something incredibly fascinating about sort of like our own passions and desires and such sort of corrupting us. You know, like, like us being our own enemy essentially, and our passions kind of being our downfall. Uh, and that's how Slanesh as a god works in chaos, I think. Yeah, that's how I see it too, so yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear that. Um, anyone else? Sure. Hmm? Uh, one, of the, one of the, obviously the, um, the tagline of Warhammer's in the grim, dark future. And I don't think people really realize how grim it truly is, because if you're, if you're going with the chaos gods, 
you know what's going to happen to your soul. It's going to go to them. But if you're a good person, you don't know. And the emperor is immortal. He's not a god. Where does your good soul go? Yeah, like that. But the, the, the four chaos gods, each is attractive to different people, and I think that's the appeal. Because you, you, know, you can't have this, unless you're, you know, unless you're being libertarians, you can't have these chaos gods that are completely devoted. They have to be somewhat interesting. So, you know, I can see corn appealing to people who have a lot of rage, and you know, they want to they go on the battlefield, they want to pound stuff with their miniatures. And I can see people, um, and people doing Slanesh and Zinch and all that. And each of them has its appeal, and I think that's that's a really elegant piece of world design because here's the enemy, and he's enemy. I can't really speak to Slanesh as a character, um, <laughs> although Slanesh sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, but I do know that uh, there is sometimes a um, a reactionary wing. Of fandom or of, of gamers who, who want things a certain way, right? And something about Slanesh is not that way for them, right? And so that's why maybe there was there there is an yeah. idea of like removing. I was Slanesh I was interested Antioch. in it. I was like, oh, let me hear your argument. Like, make your case, and I will like treat. I mean, even though this is like one of my favorite things, and I have imprinted it upon my person, like I will listen to this. And then I was like, I came away being like, I'm still gonna feel my feels about this. So like, I, I totally right, so hear. It's, yeah. it's almost like a. I don't know, like an anti-trans feeling, right? Yeah, because yeah. Slanesh is both male and female. And yeah, and his claim was that the, the exotifying that and like making it like scary and spooky was sort of uh, regressive. And like mm -hmm. I, I see that and I hear it and I'm like, I want to hear more of these arguments, but I actually, I, I come away seeing it as like, there's a power here. And, um, but I'm like a deeply problematic person to begin with. So like, who, <laughs> that's why I'm like, I'll let people, more respectable people have this conversation. So. It reminds me a little bit of the myth of uh, Tiresias, right? Mm -hmm. Who is, who is uh, yeah. uh, not cursed by the gods, but, but sort of zapped by the gods <laughs> to be male for a time and female for a time mm -hmm. and, and stuff. And it's, I don't know, I mean, it's, it, these, these ideas of, of intersex go back so far into, into human yeah. uh, uh, mythology and legends that it is surprising that, that people might still be put off by it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Do you have any thoughts you'd like uh, to share? Uh, yes, I said everything I would agree with, apart from um, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly more pro chaos because uh, <laughs> why wouldn't you be? Yes. <laughs> um, but um, I think Slanesh is interesting. I mean, I think I, um, I think GW has constantly struggled with Slanesh as they do with dark elves um, because they're boobs. And it's a game that predominantly sells to young, you know, young people in game stores and boobs can be problematic for some store owners when depicted on boxes and books and things like that. Um, so I think it's been a constant long-running um, you know, debate within GW how much boobage there should be. Um, and when you get into Slash, you have the additional complications that can present themselves. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I think um, I completely agree with Nelson that Sanesh is the most interesting concept because it is it is free reign to your will and um, and the gap to what that can mean I think that's so interesting to explore mm. uh, not only in fiction but in terms of you know you know we're not even touched on the other side of you know this stuff which is toy soldiers uh, and uh, you know, painting and modelling 
Jewish soldiers, particularly you know, of, of the care suspects, things like Nurgle and Slash are, are a lot of fun to do. You know, you can go crazy with colours and modelling and stuff like that. So there's a massive appeal there, not only not only in the kind of conceptual range, but in the actual crafting range as well. Mm. Um, it kind of fulfills your different needs as they may be. Yeah. No. Oh, thank you very much. For, and I'm, I'm going to ask my next heavy hitting question, and then we're going to we're going to ease off that and like end on a. A less aggro note, and I'm um, so uh, the um, so when I was talking to my uh, my friend who plays uh, 40k, um, I was like, so what's what's the what's the most contentious question I could ask just to like throw it out there? And he um, he presented to me that so while just so I'm just going to read this because I spent a lot of time on this, and I try not to like read off a piece of paper in a panel and kill the room, but like I just I wanted to phrase this very delicately. So while described in the paperbacks as the cruelest and most bloody regime imaginable. Many in the 40K fandom seem more eager to identify with the empire of man than with the factions working against them. What do you make of fandom identification with the empire of man? It seems to me, as an outsider, like there's some pretty unironic get-off on the fascist aesthetic of 40K. And my question is, is it similar to fandom identification with stormtroopers in Star Wars? Like, I have a very good friend who's in the 501st, and I would never choose to cosplay um, anything on that side of the Star Wars thing. Like, I am, uh, that's not my life, and I have that question. Um, so, like, since I've brought Star Wars as sort of like a comparison text here, um, is there a light and a dark side to this fandom? And, um, like, how do you negotiate with that idea and the fan and as, like, um, as both fans and creators? And um, whoever would like to go first on that one, I'm welcoming it. I just don't want to put anyone on the spot because it's like, this is a difficult question and I, and I wanted to, but I wanted to bring it up because I think it is something that I've seen in the fandom and I've kind of felt like, was like, but why would I want to? to do that, um, and then other people are like, yes, this is my life, and I'm like, in what, please. I'm, I'm reluctant to assign motive to, to uh, someone's decision to mm -hmm. cosplay as a stormtrooper. Stormtroopers are, are cool costumes. They are, you that's, know, that's right? that. So, um, but I mean, the, the Imperium of Mankind is pretty corrupt, right, uh, in, in the Warhammer 40K yes. universe. Uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't even put the qualifier pretty in front of it. It is corrupt um, and expansive and, and uh, militaristic and imperial. Um, but they're humans. And so maybe there are people who are just like, well, I'm human. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, there's, yeah. there's blank spaces in there. And that's why yeah. I wanted to ask it because, like, I mean, fandom is always one of those places where you can be like, hooray, or like, oh, right? And so, like, there's always people who are going to take things a little too far and maybe are revealing again something about themselves. So that's why I wanted to sort of tone it down with that, like, 500 first thing because, like, you know, my friend is not like, yes, 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 this is my life. It's more like these costumes are cool and I know how to, he's actually doing a book on them now, which I think is fascinating. So, but no judgments here. I'm just, I'm but just I mean, like the orcs are, are pretty dumb, right? In, in, uh, in 40K. Well, they are, but, 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 are you, but you might still love them. They, 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 they fly through space and they make things and they can't be that dumb. But they're betrayed that way. Yeah. But they're betrayed that way because we're seeing them through the eyes of the Imperium, perhaps. Right, but there might be people who are like, I, I associate with the orcs because I think they're cool. Doesn't necessarily mean that they are also bulldozing. I'm not space, a chaos. You know? <laughs> I promise. You're so smart. You build a I did threaten to bring my uh, my chain sword with me. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of the Imperium, in the Imperium of mankind, is it? be called in 40k. Um, as you say, it's, it's humanity, and, the, and, and, um, and they are, you know, 
energy legally hype. They are, they are what stands against oblivion and the other, whether that's chaos or just other alien races who, you know, would happily just wipe out humanity if, if they were able. Um, so on one hand, at one end of the scale, it is, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're supporting, you know, you and your own in, in, in life in the universe. Um, to the end of the scale, which is this dominant and, and perpetual war-like attitude. Um, and in any society, um, there are extremes of people of belief. Um, and within the imperium of mankind, there is the same. Uh, the space rings are one end of an indoctrinated war machines that only exist for wars, therefore they're only thought in theory is war, um, you know, to the extreme of, you know, the, the worker in the munitions factory who has a very different existence and outlook on life. Um, but as we see, particularly in the, the Horace Heresy books, which, you know, which focus predominantly on space marines and what they think, um, we see that across the legions, um, there are individuals, there are people that question, you know, this thing. Um, obviously, questioning leads to corruption, corruption leads to excommunication. Um, but um, I think, you know, it's, it's not a binary situation, it's very easy on the internet for many things to become binary, yes or no. I think it's more complicated. Um, Excellent. I, I'm pretty strong feelings about this, too, actually. Uh, and I think the important thing to bear in mind is this is the, the Warhammer universe is not a good versus evil universe by any means. It's an evil versus inhumanly evil. <laughs> it really is a, the, the Imperium of Man, whether it's the fantasy uh, empire or, you know, wherever the king is at the various times or whatever the emperor, um, and the 40K universe. The, what humans are subjected to, I think there's like a million planets or something like that that are populated by humans. Human life is, is absolutely worthless. It, it means absolutely nothing. Uh, to the point where the, the so-called good guys in the 40k universe will exterminate a planet, you know, essentially at the drop of a hat if there's a risk of that maybe spreading a little taint of chaos or something like that. Um, I, I, and I honestly don't think it's much of a stretch to say that, you know, um, the forces of the Imperium aren't necessarily much better than the Vermont in, in Nazi Germany. But it's, imagine the Vermont versus, you know, an even greater horror and evil. Um, you know, that doesn't make the Vermont good. The, the, the Empire, the, the Imperium, is not a good, benevolent force. It is simply this really almost loose, practically falling apart of the seams. Every description of what the cities are, like the cities are barely holding together and are like a moment away from just crumbling into dust. And that's essentially what the Imperium is like, and it's just this constant struggle to save humanity as a whole. Um, at any cost. Yeah, at, at absolutely any cost, to the point where, you know, you, you could argue that the chaos are, are, you know, sympathetic to the point where they're just doing a different thing. They're survival in a different way. Well, you, when that, that comes out in certain novels that, that actually you have um, certainly at least one chapter of Space Wings who turn to chaos, not because they are corrupted, but because they see that as the only way to save humanity. So, yeah, and so, so you know, if you're, if you're cosplaying a stormtrooper from Star Wars, you're cosplaying somebody who, you know, at 
typical Imperial Guardsman would kind of laugh at as cute and pathetic and that poor shot as well. Um, it, you know, um, the important thing really to bear in mind, oh, actually, I'm going to make one, one last statement now. Please. I made my point, but um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I'll make the one political statement, perhaps. Um, when I have seen over the past couple of years, people post um, God Emperor, and that's, that's the term for the Emperor Man during the Fort King University, is called the God Emperor, um, because essentially he, he effectively is a God. There's, you know, this sort of, um, he has psychic powers that are just astonishing, and he's at least 10,000 years old. Yeah, but he's um, a people Sorry? Yeah, yeah he, he's, a, he's a unthinking. Yeah, he, he's, he's sort of this weird blob person hooked up to circuitry, but there's still an entity, a psychic entity there. Um, and over the past couple of years, all of a sudden you've seen memes of the god emperor and his heyday, you know, 10,000 years before in the, in the Horus Heresy period, uh, on this huge resplendent golden power armor with huge, you know, some kind of psychic sword, and they put Trump's head on it. And, and some people apparently think that that might be a compliment to call, you know, Trump the god emperor, but honestly, like, it's, that's, if you know the 40K universe, that is the farthest thing from any kind of a compliment. And, you know, horrifyingly yeah. might actually be uh, still appropriate for the use that it's applied. You know the, the government sits on the Dalai Lama's room. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that is, don't you? Yeah. I, I love this panel. Trump, not an insult to God after. Yeah. <laughs> if I can, uh, uh, just a little bit here. Um, the corruption of um, the Imperium is necessary to the setting because at its heart, it started out as a miniatures battle game. So, oh, I brought my Ultramarine to our super awesome Space Marines. Well, I brought my White Scars who are also super awesome Space Marines. And they have to have a reason to fight. So everybody, every faction has a reason to fight every other faction, and if necessary, itself. Fair. Very fair. Thank you. That was, that was a really good, like, I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much for addressing this, because it, it was the question that I was most eager to hear um, your thoughts on. So we're going to wrap, we're, we're, we have time for one more question, and then we'll um, take some questions from the audience. So um, there's going to be a 40K TV show, apparently. Um, the press release uh, says, Eisenhorn, as the series will reportedly be called, spotlights the major character Gregor Eisenhorn, the Inquisitor who starred in the trilogy of books by Dan Abnett that debuted in 2001. Um, the showrunner is the person who did uh, Man in the High Castle. Um, so yeah, it's got some chops. And I guess I'm going to ask my panel, like, what do you want from this show? And uh, follow up, what would be the biggest mistake that they could make with this show? Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would want from it because I don't, I mean, I'm now I'm slightly more educated here, but I'm like, okay, is it going to be like Castlevania or, which was dope, or uh, like, it's just in my opinion, um, or will it be like super metal goth dune or like, you know, what do you, what do you want and what could they do wrong that would like really bork it for everyone? I think it would be cool if they did, took sort of a castle rock approach and, and really explored the universe mm. of 40K rather than, um, I don't know. It, it probably wouldn't be just like a day-to-day -day life show anyway, but I think there's probably going to be a lot of that. I would be super there for that, though, but, yeah. Um, I think it would be great if they just sort of... Like, I'd love to see the warp, you know, on the show. I'd love to see crazy mutants. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds cool. Can you even comment on this? 
I can, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my best friend is a guy who said at the project, uh, but, um, oh, have fun. but um, he uh, very wisely didn't tell me much so I couldn't compromise myself or him. Um, but um, Eisenhorn, um, okay, so in the Eisenhorn trilogy, there's one point where Eisenhorn effectively um, enters a Titan, which is a massive, massive walking behemoth kind of titan armor tank thing and uh, kind of controls it. Um, if they show that in realistically, that would be pretty awesome. So that's what I'd like to see. Um, what I wouldn't like to see, uh, I mean, ultimately, Eisen is a horror story. Um, it's a detective fiction with a horror story within the 40k universe. Hmm. I'd like to see it done that way because uh, I think that's the nature of the story. Um, and so um, I guess if it's some kind of PG, hey, we're all happy in 40k, really, uh, is what I don't want to see. Hmm. I see. Anyone else? Uh, I have no expectations whatsoever. Got it. I have far too many expectations because I've been dreaming about this for decades now. <laughs> um, and, I, and, and I will agree with Mike, uh, what he said earlier about the Eisenhorn series, the novels are superb. And I really hope that they use this as an opportunity to really explore you know, um, one of the things is, again, like I said, a million planets within the Imperium of Man. Um, and each one of them has evolved kind of differently. There are very distinct cultures, um, you know, even you know, 10,000 years of evolution of separation, and even sort of evolved different races on different planets to some extent. I would love to see that. Now, my one desperate hope is that they make it very R-rated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it is not a PG. You know, despite, again, like, like Mike said, Games Workshop has to kind of straddle the line and make it sort of PG-ish. Um, like they use the word fracking instead of, you know, the, the actual F word. Um, mm. But I really hope that besides that, they show the Imperium as essentially, yeah, this is necessarily, but not necessarily, necessarily evil um, culture that is fighting against a different kind of evil. I mean, Eisenhorn keeps a uh, possessed human, a demon host, in his cellar, um, who's not a pretty sight. Um, so, I mean, to show that realistically is going to be pretty horrific. Um, I guess if that's dumbed down into, you know, a little oracle box, I think we'll know which way it's going. But. I think my one hope is that it goes through the same uh, clear, remarkable vetting process that the novels have for those characters. It goes Excellent. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm excited by it. I always like a new fantasy TV show, so I, I'm definitely interested in checking it out. So and it's, okay. it's not network, is it? It's, it's uh, going to be on like a cable channel or something, right? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a cable show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because then, then they have a chance to go darker. Right? Yeah. Yes. No, it'd be fun. So yeah, I'd like to open it up to everyone. Um, are there any questions that any of you? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I saw you first, so you go. Um, the Warhammer gods are very manifestation of our emotions, and the Lovecraft gods don't even care about us. Which do you find more horrifying why? That's a really good question. I wish I'd come up with that one. That's Jeez Louise, I forgot. Oh yeah, we are at Necronomicon. Anyway, uh, who'd like to take that one? I'll, I'll take oh that. yeah, please, go right ahead. You're assuming that the Chaos gods are involved and that their mere presence doesn't evoke those uh, emotions and those actions. I mean, yeah, you can say Papa Nurgle's a little more hands-on, but so is Nier Lathotep. So, you know, I, I think you can make a nice parallel. 
that the um, the ruinous powers are Lovecraftian, if not directly a Lovecraft arrived. But I think they're both just like a they both both uh, represent an indifferent universe, right? The, 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 the lives of humans doesn't don't matter. You're your lemmings going over a cliff, right, to, to beat back the, the other hordes. Um, <clears throat> so I think there is a parallel there, uh, even if the gods maybe are taking a different form. Um, it is such a, it's in a different universe that doesn't care about human life. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, I know I'm the moderator, but I'm, I'm playing this campaign right now where I, um, so it's sort of, it's not really the, the enemy within because my uh, GM is really extra. And so, um, like, I, that's just the infrastructure we're dealing with. Um, because I have friends who have played all the way through the enemy within, and they're just like, oh my god, okay. And like, right now, we're like all, like, two of us are chaos champions. Like, my, my spooky witch now has a, a an eight foot snake that grows out of her tailbone that she has to wear like a boa. And I just, I, 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 okay, fine. Um, uh, <laughs> But yeah, like uh, she made a lot of choices, and um, so uh, like she's dealing with this sort of chaos thing. But her whole goal is like she just wants a, ple- a room to read where nobody will bother her. So she has to basically like go through this transformation to become a god in the warp, where like she can like tussle with everybody else out there because she knows what will happen to her soul otherwise, right? So there is this sort of uncaring thing where she knows she can't pledge herself to any of these chaos gods. Like they'll just take advantage of her. She has to like become one of them. Um, so like I. I do think that there's still that aspect of like, yeah, like um, the universe is, is is a void where you are continuously hearing laughter and you have no idea if it's you or otherwise. And so I do think there is that nice overlap in that regard. Um, but yeah, I think what I, I think, I think there is sort of, I, I've always been a little bit more terrified by Lovecraft stuff. I think uh, his, his ability to evoke mood is, um, you know, here we all are. Like it's, it's something that we, we tend to enjoy, right? Whereas like, so much of Warhammer is, is internal as a role-playing system. Like you're not being told a very scary story. Um, you're participating in it, which gives you agency, which is something that everyone kind of lacks in Lovecraft. So I'm going to come down on the side of Lovecraft for like the scary, scary and chaos and the Warhammer universe. Like, um, like I'd much rather tussle with them than like any any one of the of the gods in Lovecraft's universe. So anyone else have any thoughts? I think. Um... Lovecraftian gods are fully K-gods. I think um, we, we um, view them through human eyes and human concepts. Uh, so we ascribe in the 40K universe, they have been modeled from the human concept perspective. Uh, and we, you know, we, we rationalize them as uh, you know, war and blood and uh, corruption and decay and so on. Um, and Lovecraftian entities, we we still view them through human perception, so we view Shipnick with some sort of fertility item and uh, so on, and uh, Yogg-Sothoth as uh, some sort of, you know, uh, embodiment of, of interdimensional space or time or whatever it may be. Um, none of us know what they really are. Um, and um, I think, yeah, the 40K universe has just modeled them in that way, that they are, Instantly recognizable concepts for people to latch onto, particularly if you're a 13 year old boy collecting chaos birds. Um, but um, I would agree, I think, uh, you know, as they, as they are presented, uh, I'd rather not go up against um, you know, Yoksozoth or anyone like that, um, just because I don't fully understand them. Whereas Corn, I could just go, yeah, blood, come on. <laughs> 
skulls, skulls. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have um, any thoughts? I, I would actually kind of posit that um, the 40K gods are actually far more horrific in that the way I see them, um, and they're, they're just manifestations of chaos, of the, the force of chaos in the universe. So they aren't individual separate gods necessarily. They're actually just, you know, one way that chaos can manifest is as war. Another way is as corruption and, and decay. Um, but the chaos is actually this thing that pervades the universe, much like, you know, effectively say dark matter, you know, it's 90% of the mass in the universe, we can't see it. Chaos is this force that's everywhere and it sort of manifests itself in little ways. We can easily compartmentalize and humanize and identify with Slanesh or Nurgle or whatever, but the actual force behind them is far more pervasive and as a Thothian, maybe, if you will, or something like that. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Um, I think I saw I think I saw you next, sorry. Um, wanted to give a quick shout out to the Tau as a as a credit Set up a table. That are different than just like the fashion. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, um, you can have other factions. So I think it's a credit to Games Workshop. Um, and as um, writers, I was kind of curious on your thoughts on how a lot of franchises have been, in my opinion, ruined by giving in to trying to explain everything. You know, Doctor Who, Star Wars, they've all fallen into this cognitive closure trap. And games, and, and the Warhammer has never fallen into that. Like, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, do you think that's important? Do you think that's something that's intentional in that? Do you think it's something that's going to be resistant kind of going forward? Is it not that important? Part of me would answer the middle of all of that question with um, a lot of the GWC we make it as we go. Um, so there isn't an overarching plan. I think there is. I think that. Has, I think that certainly has been the case. I think maybe. Uh, I think nowadays there's a little bit more kind of cohesive planning and thought to, to some of it. But uh, sometimes <laughs> it was just cool. Hey, let's do that. Um, certainly back in my day. Um, but um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's all I can say. By the way, your point about Tau. Tau is another race, an alien race that really takes a completely different approach from humanity and our various are for the common good. Um, but no, that's all what we say about that. But um, I love the fact that they don't try to tie up answers. Personally, for me, the alien franchise was essentially ruined by Prometheus, so I'm really happy that uh, for one reason or another, 40K doesn't go that way. Anyone else? Yeah. Great. Um, the question earlier about you know uh, the, the the most Lovecraftian things there, the appearance of Runa's power, I would actually suggest that the most Lovecraftian things are like the Emperor. I mean, uh, the Emperor has a trajectory like a, a great old one, like Cthulhu, like the greatest of his race, and is now sleeping, yet is surrounded by his spawn of Primarchs. I mean, that seems far more Lovecraftian. The ruinous powers, um, the same way with the, the Tyrians as a, uh, you know, an impersonal force that is just here to is just here to predate life, you know, with no uh, no care to whether they are predating space marines or chaos marines or orcs or the Tau. Um, it's all just material to be uh, consumed and used. Those are the sort of more Lovecraftian aspects of this universe. 
than the, uh, the, the ruler's powers. Hmm. It's really interesting. Thank because you. the ruler's powers almost have too much personality. Yeah, they definitely do tend to in that way. Thank you, yeah. Uh, we have time, I think, for um, maybe one or two more. Yeah, please go ahead. There's a lot of humor in all of the Warhammer 40,000 universes. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, Lovecraft had a fairly decent sense of humor, right? And I'm wondering how much of the, the humorous aspects of 40K and fantasy we can say is itself Lovecraftian. Like, if the ruinous powers are Lovecraftian, what about Dork and Mormon? Are they equally Lovecraftian? <laughs> what do you think? Well, I was writing uh, specifically for their horror line, so there was no, there was no humor uh, to put in there. Um, I, I tried to slip in a little bit of, you know, uh, character-based, maybe snarkiness or something, but, but uh, overall, I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Anyone else? The, the, I mean, the, there's a, there's a lot of British humor throughout. Certainly, the game books and uh, and entering some of the fiction books, um, and, and if you know, some of you've got to kind of know British humour to kind of get them. Um, but uh, it, but the get yeah, Forty Days started off as a, a big joke in a sense, and, and, and it's continued to be written into it. You know, if we, what you can get away with without someone you noticing has always been always been there. Yeah. And, and, and briefly, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, orcs are like fantasy orcs, only they all talk like it is from Chicago. Or <laughs> <laughs> like, I think kind of cockneys or something. Yeah, it's going either way. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But it is such a dark creation, also. Like, I really, I was impressed by how just truly grim uh, a cosmos they, the, the game imagined. Yeah. And, I think it's just, I don't know, I, I really enjoy the humor aspect of Warhammer, and my favorite games that I've played in have been funnier ones. Um, my favorite campaign that I was ever in, um, like a thousand years ago, basically, was uh, we we all rolled um, nobles, and it was like a fops game. And, <laughs> and so we were... <laughs> I had I had I had a young woman named Eleanor de Peltier who had um, like one of her D4 hangers on was her ferret handler and she had a giant <laughs> ferret that had like gold plated nails and um, you know I mean like and nobles are like a warrior class right so she could scrap and it was really fun but I mean it was like okay we have to go to this fancy party <sighs> let's go fuck it up yeah and so it was like and like Warhammer was like the really was like a really perfect system for that, and so and so and so my friend and and so my friend he also had a nobleman who had his D4 hangers on all managed his um, collapsing harpsichord that he would take and like set up at, at parties and then and then my other friend who has only as far as I know ever rolled like he's like a warrior but like kind of dumb like he ended up rolling um, like a. Uh, one of um, the other, this harpsichord guy's servants, who was like his body man, and he was um, like a little person who dressed exactly like uh, the um, like like the the other player, and was his mirror image in that way. But he was like a rogue, and so was always just like stealing things while like uh, the other guy was running game, like playing a harpsichord, and we were like robbing all of these other nobles blind, and then being like, <laughs> and it was like I don't know, it was another time in my life, like, and it was just it was a really really fun game, but like this dark the you know a grim dark what a grim world of perilous adventure, and it was like or or. <laughs> or. <laughs>
or they have better snacks there. So let's gate crash. And like, I mean, we were so ungoverned, and it was really, really fun. And, and I mean, and, and, and we ended up. Ro- I mean, the, what really started going downhill was we ended up at a party that was like, oh, would you like to join the court of the lingering whisper? And we were like, that sounds great. And then like, things like so you know, I I do enjoy the the space that it leaves for humor within its grim and perilous nature because like you know you can run a ca- I mean the one campaign that I run that I'm really proud of was basically like murder on the Orient Express but it was a wagon train going between two places in Talbot land and um, when my players finally figured out that was going on then like it got like real real silly uh, like really fast and but I really like that and I like the mixture of like these endless horrors that were like assaulting them as all of the silly stuff was going on so I don't know I think what I love about role-playing games in general is they are what you bring to them and um, you know I my GM is like it's I, I won't play D&D because like Warhammer is just a lot more serious and it's like is it because mm. like I feel like I feel like you can you can do you can do anything with anything basically as long as you're willing to like work within the rules and stuff so yeah I don't know even the table field tabletop where this all stems from um, the orc army in particular I always enjoyed fighting against because they half the time they would like blow themselves up or start shooting each other from the yeah. you kind of just like sit back and watch them kind of take care of that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's about all the hot time we have. I'd rather end two minutes early than two minutes late. So thank you all very much for coming. Like, I, I hope this was beyond your wildest nightmares of this grim world of perils. But before we go, before we go, it was so interesting that I, I kind of stopped racking up things. So I was mentally assigning you things. So I'd like to announce what the results are, which is that, Niels, you are leaving here with chicken legs. Okay, great. That's your mutation. Um, yes. You have been very good. Um, you have nightmares. 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 Um, More than you. you have now heroic idiocy. <laughs> heroic idiocy. Yes. Nice. And um, now has. Yeah. And uh, your nose has grown six inches. So good luck with all of that. Thank you very much. I hope it's been enjoyable. And, like, have a good Hey everybody, before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to take a minute to say thank you for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying the podcast from our interviews and actual plays to our rambling roundtable discussions. If you like what you're here and you'd like to support the show, we have great sponsors for you to check out. Birds of a Feather Coffee Company is a small batch craft coffee roaster and is our OG sponsor. They have three signature blends to choose from. The Morning Lark, which is a light roast. The Night Owl Blend, which is a rich, dark roast, and the Hummingbird Decaf Blend. They also have the exclusive Legendary Brew, a nice medium roast coffee, perfect fuel for all those late night gaming sessions. If you use the code LEGENDS10, you'll get 10% off your order, and shipping is always free. So head on over to tinyurl.com forward slash legendary brew, or click on the link in the show notes. Thanks everybody for checking it out. We'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.